seems that the political environment in America gets more polarized and hostile with each passing day. Social media is full of partisan arguments being exchanged back and forth, politicians smear and defame each other, and family dinners end in ideological fistfights. With this broadening divide in the civic arena, disagreements have begun to arise about what it even means to be an American. Suddenly, the popular measure for a true American is whether or not they happen to agree with me. What does it look like to be a patriotic Christian in our present political environment? Is patriotism the same thing as nationalistic zeal? Where does the church fit into this conversation? All that and more on this edition of Questions from the Pew. Questions from the Pew, the intersection of faith and culture. We're your hosts. I'm Riker Zalameta. I'm Lucas Manning. Hey, we're happy that you're here. Good to see you yes. virtually, Luke. Yes, same to you. Across the miles. Uh-huh. Zoom is really the savior of America. <laughs> yeah, we can still uh, we can still be social. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so that's great. Anyway, yeah, um, I guess we're talking a little bit about just patriotism, what it what it looks like as a Christian. I mean, obviously, Fourth of July is coming up here. Um, definitely, when this drops, just a couple days away. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's interesting because it's you know obviously there's going to be plenty of celebration from all different kinds of groups, um, you know, mm-hmm. fireworks, all that, all that kind, all that good stuff. Uh, but it's not necessarily. You know, there's some groups where it's not necessarily going to be a celebratory time. Um, you know, perhaps like they can celebrate like the American ideals, uh, but many can't celebrate the actual American realities that they've experienced or even that their, you know, father, grandfather, great grandfather has experienced. So it's, I mean, it's kind of an interesting time um, of, you know, I guess celebration, but then also, you know, there's other people mourning. I mean, you can almost relate it to like Father's Day or Mother's Day where, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's not a good feeling for everyone. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I think I think it's a, a timely discussion here. Yeah, definitely. Maybe uh, maybe an interesting place to start is uh, just with like our experiences with like the flag and like, I guess, patriotism and that kind of thing, like within mm-hmm. our, our church background, because I know we've we've had different uh I guess just different experiences with this. Right. Yeah. I mean, for me, there was, I, I remember on stage, there was always the, the Christian flag, you know, with the, with the white foreground, the blue, um, mm-hmm. the blue square and the, oh, yeah. and the cross, <laughs> uh, that was on stage. And then opposite that on the other side of the stage was an American flag. Mm. Um, we never st- stood in st- like st- said the pledge of allegiance on a Sunday morning or anything yeah. like that. And even when it was like a 4th of July service, yeah. we sang, I mean, I wouldn't say patriotic worship songs, but yeah. um, the focus was on, I guess, um, yeah, bringing the country back to God. God call us back to you mm. as a nation, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously people wore their American flag <laughs> shirts, <laughs> the yeah. worship background uh, for some songs was very patriotic bald eagles (laughs) (laughs) yeah Um, but it wasn't uh but for the most part like aside from that day it wasn't in your face right i wouldn't say in in my church yeah which is i would say my church is definitely takes it a step further um yeah i mean it's just interesting to look back because yeah i mean you talking about like having the christian flag and the american flag like we definitely had the christian flag it was like basically our church. We had a ton of flags for like all the like all the places that we had missionaries that we supported. So there was like a ton of flags around the top, but then raised a little bit a little bit higher than all the rest of them was the American flag and the and then like I'm actually not sure if the Christian flag was raised higher or not. I can't remember. It might have just been the American flag. I'm not 
I'm not actually sure. That's an important detail, actually, because that's interesting. If it if it all, if the Christian flag wasn't raised a little higher too, I don't think it was. Anyway, all that to say, Fourth of July, even Memorial Day, definitely Fourth of July though. We were definitely yeah. singing, you know, Battle Hymn of the Republic, you know, uh, proud to be an American. What is the from sea to shining sea is that the name of the song or is that just the the lyric i remember i don't know uh, but no that's the end of the that's the end from sea to shining is that how it, uh, i don't man, know i haven't sung that song in so long yeah i mean it was just it was interesting and the, obviously when you're growing up like you don't think about these things too hard you know um when it really when it really hit home for me was my brother's wife is uh she's a mennonite and so they're very uh like i guess they don't like they don't actively like engage i guess with like the american government i I don't know you'd have to ask her for all the details but basically it's it's very much so out of the church like they don't they don't talk about like america or like they're not patriotic there's no flags or anything and when she i think she came on memorial day and then you know our church was doing all of our patriotic hoopla um and she was like deeply, you know, like disturbed because it was like, well, like, what is this? Like, this is like, you know, the house of God. And like, why are we singing? Like, why are we worshiping America right now when, you know, obviously that's not what we're here for. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, I guess this, this, uh, issue of where, you know, love of country fits within specifically the life of the, of the Christian and of the church. I think it's, I mean, it's something that, people have dealt with over the ages but also it's something that's very significant for right now oh yeah definitely i think globally there's been um, a move away from i guess globalism toward isolationism so away from you know different countries different nation states working together um on a global scale and more so uh, they're moving back to um yeah to closing off uh, interactions with other other countries yeah. in an effort to um, to strengthen their own uh, economy, their own defenses, w- what have you. Um, and I think immediately of Brexit, for example, mm-hmm. the whole mm-hmm. argument, um, the whole debacle there of whether or not you know Great Britain's going to stay in the EU, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously that it's, that argument is, um, has has uh, been brought to a close. But um, that's the biggest thing that. <laughs> that uh, that i could think of yeah um and i think all of this has brought about a rise in um a na- in nationalistic fervor in nationalism mm-hmm. across those different countries because of the move uh, towards isolationism right right yeah i mean i mean we've talked about this before but like even back in 2018 when donald trump talked about being a nationalist and mm-hmm. uh you know, obviously there's a lot of conservatives who, uh, I mean, specifically I can think of, uh, like Candace Owens who like defends like nationalism, um, as like a viable stance, which is, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I think, I mean, a little bit later we'll, we'll get into it a little more on these terms like nationalism and patriotism, but, uh, yeah, it's definitely been brought to the forefront. That's for sure. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I think part of that, too, is the whole idea of the West meddling in Eastern affairs. So, like, hmm. um, in in trying to establish a foothold um, in different parts of, uh, of the world, there have been wars, for example, that America has involved in that many would say um, America shouldn't have been involved in at all uh, in hmm. terms of trying to expand its economic interests, uh, you know, um, across the, hmm. the globe um and that's brought about just a lot of backfiring over the decades just a lot of ripple effects that they're affecting that are affecting america um now and so it's um it's almost like cir- it's time to like circle the wagons is that the phrase i think hmm. like yeah, yeah. And, and and it's just trying to um instead of spreading ourselves out too thin trying to make sure that we're good to go here on our shores um so yeah and uh, christians like we said already mentioned um already uh, they've been trying to find their place in american civic society right we already talked about flags in church like what is that balance that mm-hmm. should be struck when it comes to that 
Um, but this question has been asked by Christians since the beginning of the church, mm. really. Um, right, because the loyalty of Christians, of early Christians, was already being questioned. Um, I mean, at that, like in the early days of the church, worship of the emperor was seen as your loyalty to the the empire itself. Right. So if you weren't worshiping Caesar, when you were worshiping this, you know, this Jewish man named Jesus, um, then where do your loyalties really lie? Can, mm. um, can we, you know, if you're a Roman citizen, but you're worshiping someone other than right. Caesar, Random then, Jewish rabbi. Yeah. Then can we really trust you? Are you right. really, um, you know, Roman? Yeah. So it's, it's not a, it's not a new question. It's, it's, you know, obviously with the times it's been tweaked. Um, it's taken on different forms, but its essence has been the same. Mm. Yeah. And I, and I think it's particularly interesting for Christians who are, um, who are immigrants, um, because they, they have, they have, I guess, even because they've got their, you know, the loyalty to the country from which Mm. they, they migrated. And now because for example, and for me, Right. I, I moved from the Philippines and then I moved to America, land of opportunity, that sort of thing. There's a there's a sense of gratitude that I feel mm-hmm. for America being what it is because mm-hmm. it gave me, it gave my parents, my sister, the, the life that we have now. So mm-hmm. there's something um, there. And it's interesting because I feel I feel like it's uh, it's not just a for, for immigrants. It's not just a. Um, this or that question it's mm. there i feel like there are different more there are more variables yeah uh, to take into account into you know in in coming to a decision about okay you know where do i stand in the right quote-unquote patriotic scale yeah for sure well yeah i mean i think that partially just speaks to the complexity of you know obviously there are some people who've really benefited from like the the way that america is set up and it's not like a bad thing it's just like mm-hmm. yeah it's you know it's been more beneficial to like certain people. So obviously there's like a gratefulness. Um, and then there's other people who it hasn't been. <laughs> so it's, yeah, I mean, it's just rough. I think, yeah. Also one quick thing on the flags and church thing. Like, I think it's interesting. Cause like if I went to another country and they like had their flag, mm. like in church, I don't think I would think twice about it. It would just be like, Oh, cool. Like, you know, I'm here in this country and, they're here in this country and they have their flag up. You know what I mean? I, but for some reason that's, I don't know, I guess in America it seems loaded and maybe, maybe we'll, we can unpack that as we, as we go. Mm-hmm. Um, but really I think what we're getting at is, you know, like all these in like the civic arena, how does God's kingdom actually intersect with like public policy and how we, how we posture ourselves in the civic arena? Um, and I think, uh, yeah, one way that we're going to, I guess, explore this question is just through um, the cons- uh, comparison of the words nationalism and patriotism um, and, and kind of what those words used to mean. Maybe they were synonymous, but, uh, but you know, how they've, how they've differed and what they mean today. So, yeah, I think that, that should be interesting. So yeah, the term nationalism, um, obviously, it's uh, experienced a uh, resurgence in use, um, and I think it, it, for some people, uh, it's got positive connotations. Uh, for others, it's it's got negative connotations. Okay. Usually, though, I, th- I I've noticed that the negative connotations come because it's got an adjective placed. <laughs> 
with nationalism uh, uh, for example white nationalism right right, right. that's that already is, is putting up red flags in people's minds just hearing that phrase right well and even just the fact that it's associated with you know hitler and the nazis the mm-hmm. national socialist party i mean that yeah. obviously like just like you know you know say what you will about just like nationalism in general but like even just that association is going to get into people's heads mm-hmm. my head yeah <laughs> Yeah, basically, I, I think uh, a a fair and, and broad uh, definition of nationalism might, might be it's that it's an ideology that elevates the interests of and loyalty to a nation state or country over and above all other interests. Mm. Um, but even even that <laughs> definition, I'd say, is uh, is nuanced. Right. Because um, like anything, there there can be extremes. Um and uh, there can be a healthy balance that, that is struck. Right. Um, so. Well, then there's like certain just baggage and connotations that come with the word too. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. Like at least, um, at least like when I think nationalist, a part of me is there's like an air of superiority in the, mm-hmm. like in a nationalist in the sense that mm-hmm. they're like, you know, this country is better or we should be better or mm-hmm. just like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know when I think, I mean, like what you were saying with the adjective, like white nationalist. I mean, that's definitely what I think for like that phrase. But even just nationalist, I think of as like, I guess America, like America, like, I mean, I've heard lots of people say like America is the greatest country in the world ever. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, that's like, you know, it's obviously like a superiority complex. Like, I don't don't know. But uh, I guess I do like associate that with nationalism, whether that's Maybe that's just anecdotally my experience, mm. but I don't. I yeah. think that's part of that word too. Anyway, I think, um, I think that's interesting because so that what you were just talking about is almost um, is more externally focused, I'd say. Whereas another variation of nationalism might be more internally focused. So, like the definition I gave there is, um, you know, the interest and loyalty to a nation, state, a country. Um, is to be elevated over and above all other interests. So whether that's um, whether that's uh, partisan interests or whether that's religious interests, the 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 interests of the country should be over and above all of those mm. things. So that's I think one way to look at it as well. So that's mm. w- what I was saying is is a little bit more internally focused. But right. but I do think to your point that there is a both and to mm. this whole ideology. Mm. Um, and I think uh, something that uh, was helpful for me was this understanding that there, that there are two types of nationalism. Uh, and I'm getting this from Paul D. Miller. He's a senior fellow with the Atlantic Council's Scowcroft? Scowcroft? I don't Scowcroft? know how to pronounce it. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Center for <laughs> Strategic, uh, for Strategy and Security. Um, this was uh, in an interview he did with CNN. I'm just going to read this off, but he says this. Scholars generally differentiate between civic and ethnic slash sectarian nationalism. So uh, civic nationalism and ethnic slash sectarian nationalism. That is between rooting American identity in the ideals of the American experiment versus rooting it in some aspect of our culture, heritage, history, language, or ethnicity. Civic nationalism is the same as what I would call patriotism, and it is essential to a healthy democracy. The second kind of nationalism, sectarian nationalism, is pernicious and dangerous. Mm. I thought that was really helpful, Mm. a really helpful differentiation. Yeah. Because it uses the same term, but again, there's a nuance there. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really good. Well, because, I mean, back in the day, nationalism and patriotism were essentially synonymous. When you said nationalist, you just meant patriotic. Um, So, yeah, I think this is really helpful, even for understanding, like, how the terms have differed now. Whereas, basically, he would say civic nationalism, so, like, uh, commitment to the ideals of, specifically, in this case, America, Mm -hmm. versus, you know, sectarian nationalism, so commitment to a certain culture, heritage, history, language, ethnicity. I don't know. I think, yeah, it's a good, yeah, I just think that those are good distinctions to make. I guess, yeah, I mean, 
the interesting thing I see in America is that like our, the two-party system that we have essentially presents two different visions for America. You might maybe you hear it's like it's on the news where they talk about like the two Americas. Mm-hmm. You know, one is very like rural, suburban, uh, you know, often white and, and conservative, and then the other is you know urban. Uh, you know, contains a lot of minorities, generally liberal, that kind of thing. Um, and yeah, I think commitment to one of these visions is a commitment not to the country, uh, but to those in the country like you, uh, which I think to what you were saying, like about it being external, like it, I guess sometimes I think the sectarian nationalism, it's not just about uh, like outsiders, but it's about like fellow citizens who disagree. And so yeah i just like it turns it turns in on itself like it's not just like other countries but it's people within the country who either are not in my ethnic group or not in my political group or not you know what i'm saying who don't share my my culture so i just think yeah i think that both like you know sides of the coin couldn't get into this i think where it gets a little dicey is because primarily like the wealth power real estate has been located in white America. So I think it has more of an effect on that side. Well, I think one of the, the issues with, um, with what you just said about, you know, commitment to, um, to not the country, but to those who are in the country like you is that it's, it's isolationist on two levels, right? It's isolationist, obviously, um, at, at, a, at a global level, but then also, domestically it's isolationist mm-hmm. um and and that's yeah. in, a, in a, especially in a country like america that type of i don't know i i feel like that's almost counter to um to one of the values that american society upholds is this idea mm. of diversity mm. yeah so that just strikes me as problematic right right yeah no i'm i mean i'm totally with you uh, yeah, one thing also that I don't think we're saying is there's been this conversation about like a globalist versus a nationalist, which that's like kind of a different conversation, uh, maybe having to do more so with like economic, you know, uh, yeah, I guess just more so to do with like the economy and like how you relate with other countries. I think that's like less of what we're talking about. So we're not focusing on the contrast between globalists and nationalists, but rather like the contrast between a nationalist and then like a patriot um yeah so hopefully i guess if we go into the word patriotism um maybe do what we've done with nationalism maybe that'll be helpful So if I were to give a definition of patriotism, um, a broad definition, um, kind of like the one that uh, we gave for a nationalism, I'd say very broadly it's love for one's country. Uh, but even, again, that definition is, is almost too vague, and it comes with different levels of nuance. Um, and I think one of the levels of nuance um, that that is a part of this definition of love for one's country is that it's an identification with one's country as you know this being my country um and it's not just yeah it's not just an affection for Mm. a country you know it's it's something deeper than that Um, there's a almost like a almost like an I guess an ownership. I don't know if that's the, even the right word. Yeah. But there's a there's a sense of ownership that you have um, to this land that you live on. Yeah. 
And along with that, I think there's a willingness to sacrifice for the benefit of one's country. I mean, that goes along with love, right? So, uh, for example, I have a wife. She is my wife, and I am willing to sacrifice for her benefit, if if, if I can use that analogy. Um, But, yeah, there's a willingness to sacrifice for it, Uh, whether that's serving in the military, whether that's... um, whether that's, I don't know, maybe even I, I might even go so far as to say voting not along your traditional, you know, uh, party line that you normally would. But if it's going to be better for the country in the long run, voting, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in a different way than yeah. you would. I, I would consider that a patriotic act. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's interesting. Yeah, because I think I, yeah, I'm totally with you. I think patriotism like works for the good of the country. Um, and I would say nationalism adds, you know, it works for the good of the country, but then it also adds like at the exclusion of others. So I think that's part of the, part of where they differ. But yeah, I mean, even what you were saying about, um, I guess like identifying with one's country and that kind of thing, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I think part of, part of being a, like being a patriot is like being a prophet. Um, and I don't mean prophet in the sense of like, you know, seeing the future, you know, whatever, whatever the cultural meaning of prophet means. But I just mean like one who, who sees, you know, the failings and is aware of the history and is willing to, uh, you know, Mm. I guess point towards greater accountability on these things. Um, Because obviously, you know, there's just a lot of complexity when it comes to nation states and, and there's no nation state that's, you know, perfectly vindicated in everything that it's done. I mean, just take America. It's like, yeah, we love, we love the land that we're on, but how did like we get the land? (laughs) You know, there's just horrible acts. And I know that's, you know, that's a thing that everybody, you know, it's kind of a buzzword and I'm sure people are tired or not buzzword, but like, you know, it's a thing that we always bring up, but, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, it's, yeah, I guess I think like, you know, working towards the good of, of a country also means like pointing at its flaws and like asking its people to be better. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Yeah. Um, I do think, yeah, there's a, there's definitely a healthy balance there that, that, uh, that needs to be struck because, because it's naive to think that your country is just all great all the time. Right. But it's also yeah, it's not really construct. Yeah. It's also not constructive to, just always be pointing out the faults. I think a sure. healthy, um, a healthy patriotism acknowledges the greatness that is, you know, the ideals of a country, but at the same time is very well aware of the work that still needs to be done to make the country better. So, for example, was America the same? You know, is America now the same country that it was in the 1700s? You know, racially, Absolutely. economically, yeah. of course not. Right. Chattel slavery is no longer <laughs> yeah. uh, in, in existence. Thank, right. Thank goodness for that. Progress has been made on that, and, and right. we should celebrate that. And that's one of the things that makes America, you know, a great nation that we got past that. But at the same time, of course, there still needs to be work yeah, uh, done so much work. Um, on that front. Right. And it's a it's it's a it's an understanding of both. I think mm. that makes a um, a good faithful patriot. Um, or in, in, you know, in a, in a Christian sense, a prophet as well, because we're called to, um, to, to cry out for that justice, that change mm-hmm. when it needs to be. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think that's the hesitancy, at least with me of like, I guess like engaging wholesale in like a lot of these like patriotic, I don't know, patriotic activities like 4th of July or like, yeah, just, I don't know. Like, here's the thing, like, I, like, I generally do, like, love America, but the problem is, like, a lot of times, like, the love for America is associated with, like, a certain, a certain type of love, which I would say is, like, nationalistic zeal or love or something like that. So it's, like, it's almost hard to, I guess, like, love your country when, like, I don't know, when engaging in some of the activities is, like, characteristic of like of a way of loving your country that you wouldn't you know you wouldn't like or i wouldn't uh i guess like what's the word i wouldn't encourage i guess you know what i mean 
I think there are two ways to to love a country, right? So there, are, you can you can you can love a country because of what it's been, or you can love a country for not only what it's been and what it is, but what it can be. Yeah, um, that's fair. And I think, I mean, obviously, there's a good there are there are good reasons to look back at you know history and the greatness of of um, uh, the greatness of a country uh, in the past um, but I think the at least for me the the beauty behind celebrating you know holidays like the 4th of July for example is is celebrating in hope of what America can continue to do can continue to be better at um, what the changes that that can be made because changes like that have already happened in the past mm. yeah that's fair yeah i mean i guess that's the same as what we were talking about earlier with i guess the good type of nationalism or just patriotism mm-hmm. is like essentially like championing the ideals of america even if that isn't always like the reality that i guess like you know comes from them or precipitates from them I th- I do think there are a few problems with nationalism as as we've defined it, particularly for the church, um, and I'm gonna. I think it's primarily having to deal with the fact that the the interests of the country are to be held um, higher than the in- than any other interests. Um, so obviously, I mean, hopefully, it's obvious that that would be particularly problematic for the church, uh, for those who mm-hmm. call themselves Christians. Um, one, one problem is that, um, we, we've been talking about it already, but nationalism is now somewhat being equated with patriotism, right? So if you're not mm. uh, a nationalist, you are unpatriotic. Mm. Yeah, I think that was part of what I was talking about earlier of, mm-hmm. of just like this. Yeah. If you're not, if you don't have that nationalistic zeal, then you're unpatriotic and it's anyway, sorry, I'm done. Keep going. No, I'm just saying because the the problem there for for the church is that I, hopefully it's it's getting a little clear that that what we're saying is that you can be both a patriot and a mm. Christian, um, right, right? And it's right. getting harder to do to do that in this environment um, mm. uh, for the church to do that uh, in this environment. Um, but then, in addition to that, though, um, nationalism again, as we we defined it earlier, it places loyalty to the church. Uh, and more importantly, you know, to Christ, second to uh, the loyalty that one has to the state, to the uh, to the, to the country, um, yeah. and that I think is is very clearly problematic uh, for yeah. the church. It's it's been problematic for the church again since the beginning of of the church. Right. Well, yeah, and I I mean I think this is particularly a problem like in America, just because of how Christians, uh, I guess, related when we first came here. Uh, because it's it's hard to, like there's there's been a lot of uh i guess like research on this but it's the american imagination is so like cued in on like the exodus and the conquest so like obviously mm-hmm. leaving like the oppression of europe right uh and like no religious freedom like essentially just like the the israelites leaving slavery uh coming to like a new land and then you know i mean obviously this is terrible but like essentially conquering the canaanites to like you know uh to establish our presence like in the quote-unquote promised land and like there was tons of like you know that was being preached like you know we are like the chosen people and you know we're running for persecution into this new land um and one interesting comparison is uh is like the comparison between superman and moses and obviously superman the comic was first written by uh two jewish guys so like I mean, this is part of it, but like, you know, I guess just the parallels of, uh, Superman, like leaving, uh, you know, like an oppressed people or like a people on the edge of annihilation, mm-hmm. like on Krypton and also Moses with obviously the Israelites, um, being put into this little pod or basket in Moses case sent to like a foreign people, uh, essentially having to, uh, or being raised by like in a foreign environment and like, uh, concealing your identity. Uh, and then obviously like the hope, the hope like for that people. Um, and even like Superman's like original Kryptonian name. This is, we're getting real nerdy <laughs> with it, but it's, uh, no, it's you're ca- getting real nerdy. Yeah, I'm getting, let's be honest. <laughs> uh, 
No, but it's Cal L, which is mm. uh, like, well, depending on how you want to say it, but like voice of God or like mm. some people say like swift God. And obviously like with the authors being Jewish, they were probably aware of, you mm. know, what they were, you know, how they were naming him. So it's just, yeah, I mean, it's, I guess this like American, mm. this American myth as us as like the chosen people mm-hmm. as God's chosen people. I mean, that's, I've heard that from the pulpit, like even in my time uh, of like, you know, America's like special place. Anyway, so it's, yeah, I think, I think it's very easy for the American church to do this because it's a part of our identity has been associated with like this myth of us as like the promised people. Right. Um, Yeah. Like in essentially the modern day, we're the modern day Israelites. Yeah, no, definitely. I think yeah the whole idea of of manifest destiny I mean that's just great in in my mind that's always struck me as greatness for just greatness sake and it just the buck stops with us right um and that in my mind has always been a little bit problematic cuz there's mm. no there's no uh there's nothing wrong inherently with seeking greatness um, but if that's where it stops, then I think, then that's what I think where I have an issue, uh, with, with that. Um, but, uh, yeah, back to the, to the problem with nationalism. One last thing that I, that I think is uh, problematic for the church is the negative connotations that we talked about before. Mm-hmm. Although I do think that it's not, it's not always going to be the, the strongest argument against an ideology or particularly, uh, mm-hmm. this one. I mean, we talked about it already with um in our evangelicalism episode um the very first episode of the season um you know where yeah it's got negative connotations but it's it's still worth um you know evangelicalism is still worth Mm. using as a term as an identifier um because i think it does more good than than bad um Mm. so yeah negative connotations is another one and that's that's gonna have to be contextual i think um in terms of um, yeah, what that looks like for, for individuals. Right. Yeah. I think that's an ongoing like thing you have to keep looking at is, Mm -hmm. is this term and we've done this a few different times, like in our season zero episode, the Bible tells me so with like biblical inerrancy and then with evangelicalism and then here with nationalism, it's like, are these terms, are these terms like too far gone in their connotations to be used helpfully or are they even understood the way we want them to be understood? Right. Yeah, exactly. It's like, can the term be like reformed enough to be useful or is it just so far gone that it's, let's just get a new term at that point. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, I guess for me, I think like the nationalist term is, is, is unhelpful. Like, you know, back in the day when it used to mean patriotic, I think it's helpful, but I guess I don't think I would never deem myself as a nationalist. Um, which, like you said, that that the argument of negative connotations isn't enough, but I don't know. To me, I, to me, I wouldn't. Um, anyway. But like I said earlier, though, being a patriot definitely means having it. Um, you know, if we are going to use that term, being a health, uh, healthy patriot, being a good patriot means having a healthy understanding of not only what makes your country great, um, mm. but having an understanding of what doesn't make mm. it great. The problem yeah. is, though that the people who are, who do, um, who are good at seeing what doesn't make, you know, the country great, they're usually seen as unpatriotic by the other Mm. side, who can very often only see the greatness of a country. Mm. Which is usually, I mean, the, I guess the suspect thing is usually those are the people who are in power who, who Mm. don't want to look at the negatives. And then it's the, you know, the people who, essentially are victim to the negatives um and and the things that are wrong with the country Mm. they're the ones who have to continue to speak um you know but obviously it's harder and that's not just america that's that's just everywhere that's just humans (laughs) so yeah uh, but obviously we we see it in america too um and i guess speaking of other examples um yeah i think now it's time for five by five one two three four five five by five Now it's time for a five by five, the part of the show where our Enneagram type five, that's me, gives us five facts, aspects, or tidbits that informs or connects with our conversation in a potentially surprising way. 
Uh, yeah, so what I'm going to do today is just talk about essentially historical examples of how religious life and civic life have intersected over the ages. This is not something new, and almost every culture uh, has this where, where you know, the civic ruling government is connected in some way with the religious power uh, or the whatever whatever the religious structure is. First one straight out of the Bible, number one. Uh, and that's just, I mean, the fact that uh, in the Hebrew language that you're, essentially your Bible is written in, the word temple and palace are just the same word. It's hekal, and there's, it's just, they're synonymous. Um, and a lot of times the or pretty much every time, the temple and the palace were right next to each other on the same hill, uh, and the king only had power if he was connected with the deity of whatever group. Uh, obviously, in the Israelite case, that would be Yahweh. Um, so that's number one. Number two, uh, just oh, in ahead. addition to that, I, I find it interesting that if you read back in those ancient Near East, uh, those ancient accounts, um, the story of the rise of a king is always connected to the gods setting them up there as if this is the reason why I'm a king. So that right. that connection between the religious and the civic, um, mm. uh, it, yeah, is very clearly yeah. seen in, in the Ascension stories right. or what they're called. Support from the God legitimates their rule. Essentially. Mm. Um, yeah, so that's number one. Number two uh, is just uh, it's something I learned from Dr. Daniel Carroll. Um, he's a half Guatemalan, half white uh, Old Testament professor. And he talks about uh, in Latin America, essentially the concept of like this plaza. So in a lot of Latin American cities, according to him, um, there'll be like the central plaza of the city and there'll be, you know, all the government buildings. And then right just opposite of the, like in the plaza is the Catholic church. And they're very much so connected. Um, anyway, so that's, that's something that's, that's modern, still happening now. Uh, number three is just medieval Europe. So obviously the, the Pope and, and the Roman Catholic Church just had incredible sway over, uh, you know, over civic rule. Basically, if, if you were a lord or a, you know, whatever, noble or whatever, like you had to have the, you know, the go-ahead from, from the Pope, from the Roman Catholic Church to have any power. And that's part of the reason why the, the Reformation was so readily embraced by a lot of, a lot of these nobles or kings because they wanted to get essentially out from under the Pope's rule. So that's another one. Uh, this one's interesting, number four. Uh, in a lot of Asian words, um, or sorry, <laughs> in a lot of Asian languages, uh, there's kind of a lack, or there's like not a strong concept for like religion uh, as we understand it, uh, but it's more so just like worldview because like essentially the way that they live their lives uh, is different from the West. And that in the West, a lot of times religion can just be like an add-on. It's like, you know, I want to be a Christian. I like pick Christianity or I'll be, you know, whatever, non-religious or, you know, this or that. You can you can pick. It's a, it's a buffet of whatever religion you'd like. Uh, but a lot of times, um, you know, obviously Asia is very like pluralistic. But just like the way of life is just in, so, I guess, integrated with like the religious belief that it's not like separate. There's not... You know, there's not a separate category. So anyway, that, that's from, uh, that's not just me making things up. That's from uh, Scripture and its Interpretation, which is edited uh, by Michael Gorman, and specifically the section on uh, Asian and Asian American interpretation. Um, so that's number four. Number five is just, uh, we'll bring it back to the States here, is just town halls in America. So, I mean, definitely in early America, you know, these... I mean, even the concept of town hall was kind of that phraseology was essentially coined in America. But a lot of times they would meet in churches. Um, you know, that was the that was the public building um, that they met to, I guess, decide civic, you know, civic policy. Um, and even, I mean, it continues today. Not necessarily they don't meet there like, you know, like lawmakers or anything don't meet there. But you know, we still have town halls in churches for political events. So it's it's not something that's that's even. Uh, you know that far off from what we do now anyway so there it is there's my five by five cool so i think a valid question to ask you know, moving forward is you know where does the church fit into all of this <laughs> this whole conversation of what it looks like to be patriotic and a christian um in american life i think one thing to keep in mind is um is just 
seeking the welfare of the city. Obviously, uh, that it, it's got to be broadened to <laughs> to the country. But this is from Jeremiah 29. Um, the most famous passage from that chapter is usually Jeremiah 29:11. I know the plans I have for you, but the the context of that whole chapter is that the prophet Jeremiah is writing to the exiles who are in Babylon. Um, and these are people longing to be back home, and they've been displaced from their homeland. Um, and they're expecting to be back soon, but Jeremiah says, nope, you're going to be there for a while. Settle down. But while you're settling down there, don't just try to 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 survive. Don't just try to... Um, don't just try to meet out in a uh, you know a simple existence looking back you're looking forward to the day when you can return home but actually seek the welfare of where you're residing because in its flourishing you as well will flourish um, and I think that's something to keep in mind um, I think um, yeah especially for Christians um, in this uh, because whether you want to believe it or not whether whatever idea you have about the founding of America as a you know uh, as a Christian nation or just a nation with Judeo-Christian values or maybe not even that, I think it's it's going to be very difficult to argue against the fact that America is becoming more and more pluralistic and maybe even definitely more and more secularist. Um, and it's uh, and I think you know the the ideas um, that America upholds. Um, a lot of them can still be upheld by Christians as well. Um, so where we can, we should. Yeah, I think that's really good. Um, yeah, honestly, I like that a lot. Um, yeah, I think the yeah the Bible speaks on this a lot. I mean, if you're looking to find nationalism uh, or you know how how we should relate to you know the political aspect of of human existence i think it's pretty much all over especially the old testament but new testament as well um i mean from the old testament we, you can even think about jonah um obviously you know he didn't want to go uh you know speak to the assyrians about yahweh and obviously i had that teach or sorry i had that taught to me um as essentially you know Jonah was scared of the Assyrians. He didn't want to go on God's call. Like you should always, you know, respond to God's call. But a lot of that is, um, you know, he's reluctant because he doesn't want to share, uh, you know, knowledge and bless, uh, like the knowledge of Yahweh, which comes with the blessings. He didn't want to share that with, with another group. He wanted to essentially keep it exclusive to the Israelites. Um, and there's other, you know, there's more complexities into that book, but that's one aspect um, and even like so in Amos, uh, which is uh, just a scathing, you know, uh, prophetic call against the northern kingdom, he'll use the Exodus, which is the single most uh, uh, identity shaping event in the history of Israel. He'll use that, which everyone always holds on to, you know, God is with us. He brought us out of Egypt. He uses that multiple times to say, um, you know, you haven't kept the covenant and, you know, you know, things are, are coming down on you. Uh, so I think essentially they've lost Abraham's call um, and they're no longer, you know, they're not mm. fulfilling the call that Israel was supposed to. And essentially they've, I guess they've hoarded the blessing of God for themselves exclusively. Whereas what they were supposed to do is, is obviously, uh, you know, bless the nations around them. Mm -hmm. And I guess all the nations. Um, so obviously God works through Israel, but it's, you know, the blessing isn't exclusively reserved for them. Um, so I think it's just, you know, Israel struggling with the same thing that I think the church struggles with now, which is, you know, d is our preference of country overriding our, you know, biblical uh, calling? You know, is that, mm -hmm. is that what's happening? And so I think that's, you know, that's something that we need to be. I guess I think that's something we need to be privy to uh, yeah. and aware of as we, you know, as we make our way in the 21st century. Definitely. I guess probably like the last thing I would say is I think nationalism, which is, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep this blessing exclusively to me, even if, you know, the blessing of America, as you said, the land of opportunity, you know, and we want to keep it, you know, keep it for ourselves, keep it for Americans. I think that's born out of a worldview of scarcity. Um, you know, there's not enough to go around. Um, and in a zero-sum game, 
you know, it makes sense to hoard things. Um, it, you know, it makes sense to have that, have that mentality, uh, you know, fight for yours at the exclusion of others. Uh, but I guess that's where, yeah, I think the Bible denounces a worldview of scarcity and rather espouses a worldview of abundance. You know, obviously there's Jesus in Matthew 6, 25 through 34, when he's talking about, you know, uh, the sparrow doesn't do any work and your father feeds it. You know, the flower doesn't, doesn't toil, but he clothes it. Um, uh, so I, like, that's one example of a Sabbath, uh, you know, the Sabbath is, has a lot of connotations, but one of them is to, it's a call to live into God's abundance for one day out of the week. Um, you know, obviously there's a big feast and you know, all that. So I, yeah, I think, I think the Bible invites us to consider the possibility that we don't have to build fortresses, you know, to protect our share of things, which I think is what nationalism sometimes can be. Um, yeah, we don't have to hoard, you know, our resources, our nation, you know, uh, but we can, I guess, I guess be free with it and be generous. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, I guess that's what I would say. Yeah, I think that was a, a good place to end. Um, hopefully that was helpful for you, dear listeners, um, in, in trying to figure out, um, you know, if you're a Christian, how, how to how to think, you know, what kinds of things to take into account as you try to figure out uh, what it does look like to be um, a patriotic Christian. But, you know, if you're not uh, a believer, if you don't believe like we do, it's, you know, great thank you for listening um but um but also you know we're yeah this is a, a question that i hope you see has been a question that's been on the minds of christians since the dawn of christianity <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah and hopefully you can just ask you know what does it look like to be patriotic you know period yeah definitely so thank you for listening yeah, so if you'd like to support us financially and you have the means, uh, we do have a Patreon account. Uh, you can find it at uh, just www.patreon.com slash questions from the pew. Um, and yeah, we'd love your support there. Obviously, if you can't support us financially, um, that's great. We would also love a rating on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening on. Um, that just really helps get our podcast out there and helps others uh, you know, find our content. So we'd really appreciate that as well. Also, please comment and ask questions. We'd love to hear from you. So you can leave us a short voice message or a text message at 312-725-2995. This has been Questions from the Pew, a World Outspoken podcast. To learn more about World Outspoken and its mission to prepare the Mestizo Church for cultural change, visit www.worldoutspoken.com. For Questions from the Pew... I'm Reichard Zalameta. I'm Lucas Manning. We'll see you next time.